Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to Dr. John Bergsma, Associate Professor of Theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, giving a talk entitled, How to Get an F in Leadership. Dr. Bergsma's talk was part of a leadership conference sponsored by the Center for Leadership at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Well, we're talking about leadership today, and um, when I think back about my life, uh, when I most um, had to ponder what leadership was all about, it occurs to me that those were usually in those transition periods of my life when I was moving from one school to another and having to fill out applications for admission to things and uh, scholarship uh, forms, you know, do these, do these applications. And you know these, these forms, you know, they have your, your uh, academic credentials on them and they have work experience and then you come down and there'll be a line for leadership experience. That was the one that always got me, you know. Come down, you're trying to think of something good to put in there for the leadership experience. You know, so I remember doing this kind of thing in high school, trying to get scholarships, and you get down to a line that says uh, leadership, like, oh gosh, what did I do? You know, I must have done something. Uh, well, I was treasurer of the Honor Society because uh, I lost the election for president <laughs> and vice president and secretary. And there are only four of us this year. <laughs> so we're, we'll put that down. Unanimously elected treasurer of honor society. But they don't stop there. I mean, I wish they would satisfy with just a title or something like that. But then they have, uh, you know, accomplishments, you know. They want you to expand on what you actually did. That's so unfair. <laughs> I got the title, what more, you know? So, accomplished, okay, what did I do? Okay, uh, treasurer, all right, so, I collected dues from everybody, except for Billy. <laughs> I threw in five bucks for him so that the books will work out. All right, all right. Implemented comprehensive balanced budget for entire organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they want more. I mean, there's more lines. So more like, yeah, I can't just have one thing. That has. To. Okay, what else? Okay. Uh, uh, uh. Head water boy. I was the head water boy for the football team that year. Okay, okay. Chief hydration technician. <laughs> athletic department. Okay. And then that accomplishments line again, you know? Accomplishments, what did you do? Well, I put ice in all the coolers, right? Okay, well, how are we gonna make that sound good? Um, initiated thermal regulation material in hydration technology. All right, well, you know how it goes. You know, so you all have done things maybe not quite so hyperbolic, but um, I'm sure you've spruced up resumes and CVs and, and tried to make it sound good. And I remember think, you know, thinking back to this, you know, when I went from high school to college and then I had to do the whole procedure again, going college to graduate school, and I would fill these things out. And often I'd come up with something that looked pretty good in the end. 
But I, I think to myself, was I really a leader? Okay, was I really a leader? And what does it mean to be a leader? Okay, you can you can put titles down, you can you can rack up accomplishments, but were you really a leader? And so that's the question before us today, and we're going to try to look at uh, what we can learn from Scripture for meditating on Christ's example in the Gospels um, on leadership. And uh, one of the subtitles for this talk is actually how to get an F in leadership, uh, because there are, as you can see on the outline here, six Fs uh, that we're going to try to attain um, on the topic of uh, Christ-centered leadership. So let's, let's just begin and, and think about some of these principles that I believe that we can glean from our Lord about what it means to be a leader. And I think that the first principle is that we follow. And that seems kind of ironic. Because you think, well, I'm supposed to be leading, so why would following help me to become a leader? Now, as counterintuitive as that might sound, when we look at the scriptures, if we look at, for example, how Jesus treats his primary leader. Okay, who was Jesus' primary leader? Well, Peter, right? Uh, leader of the disciples. So this is the guy that, to whom he's going to entrust the leadership of uh, the church, the leadership of this organization on whom the salvation of mankind depends. Okay, So how does he treat uh, Peter? Well, the first words to Peter in the first gospel are in Matthew 4.18. And it says, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. This is also in our gospel for this morning. And I will make you fishers of men. Okay, so first word to his primary leader in the first gospel, follow me. And then his last words to Peter in the last gospel, John, at the end of the gospel of John. John 21, 22, when everything is wrapping up in that beautiful gospel, Jesus says to Peter, if it is my will that he, referring to John, remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. And I think that's, that's providential. Uh, that's telling us something. You know, those of you that have me in class, we would call this an inclusio, right? Where you begin and end on the same idea in a, in a literary structure. But uh, uh, from beginning to end of Jesus' training of Peter, the concept always remains the same. Follow me. So the, the first qualification for being a good leader is being a good follower. You know, the U.S. military um, implements this. Um, my dad was 27 years a U.S. Navy chaplain, and uh, he mostly served uh, Marine Corps units uh, during his Navy career because uh, it's a little-known fact that uh, the Marines are part of the Navy. They don't like to admit that, but that's why they got an anchor on their crest. And uh, the Marines are kind of like the Navy's private army, you know. So anyway... I Look around, see if I have a jarheads here going to take me down after the talk. But um, <laughs> anyway, I love jarheads. I really do. Oorah! Okay. All right. They're, they're out there. Um, so um, I spent some time at Quantico uh, Marine Corps Base uh, down south of Washington, D.C. It's one of the bigger Marine Corps training facilities uh, in the country. 
And um, one, uh, one summer when I was on break from, uh, from college, um, I got a job uh, working in the mess hall for uh, what they called the OCS, the Officer Candidate School. And these are all guys that are planning to be Marine Corps officers. And uh, I found it very interesting because working in the mess hall, I got to observe how they were trained for leadership. You know, the, the officers are the leadership core of the Marine Corps. So how is the military going to train these guys that are going to command other men? And uh, you might think, well, if they're going to command other men, maybe they give them training experiences where they would tell other people what to do, you know, so that they could get used to telling other people what to do. But that's not, in fact, how the Marine Corps trains their officers. Instead, what they do is, for six weeks or so, they more or less arbitrarily apply to every officer a very low enlisted rank. Okay? They, they make him a, a virtual private, or a private first class, or a corporal, you know, these low, low ranks. And then they live at that rank um, and do drills and exercises and mock combat and so on for weeks on end where, while they're being bossed around by other guys. So I would sit there and, you know, one of my duties was, you know, slapping the mashed potatoes on, you know. So they come by with their tray, you know, for lunchtime. I go, whack, you know, whack that on there, you know, whack. Good to go, candidate. Whack. Good to go, candidate. Whack. Good. So I'm doing this and uh, seeing them all come through. And these are guys, they got uh, college educations. Again, they're going to be the leadership core of one of the finest fighting forces in the world. And they are just being bossed around like crazy. You got drill sergeants, okay? And the classic, you know, the hat and everything, and drill sergeants. And if they made any mistake, the drill sergeants jumped on them. And uh, I can remember seeing one of the favorite, favorite techniques of drill sergeants, they get one drill sergeant in the left ear, one drill sergeant in the right ear. So got, he's got, a, you know, the, the candidate would have a drill sergeant in each ear, you know, bark him out. You dropped your potatoes, candidate! You're, you're gonna do that in a rock? You're gonna do that in a rock, candidate! No, one this year, one that year, going at it. And uh, I'm like, wow, okay. Why, why does the Marine Corps train them by, by making them followers, okay? Putting them at the lowest level to begin with, okay? And it's because you can't be a good leader until you've learned to be a good follower, okay? And no one who can't take orders themselves should ever be put in a position where they are giving orders to others. And what they're doing is trying to develop a sensitivity in these officers to know what it's like to be on the receiving end. So that after six weeks and they you know, get their first um, assignment and uh, they uh, get their commission and uh, go out there and now are leaders of other men, they're sensitive to what it's like to follow somebody else, and they know what they're asking of their men. And that's Jesus' principle, too. In fact, that's even the principle uh, that our Lord practiced in his own life. You know, the book of Hebrews, speaking of Christ and his human nature, says that he came down and learned obedience while he was in human flesh. Okay? So our Lord came down, and when we think about uh, the pedagogy of our Lord, or the training that our Lord underwent, he begins his, his uh, human existence with us as a child, uh, obedient to his parents. We just come through Advent and Christmas. Remember, towards the end of the Christmas season, we start looking at texts about Jesus' childhood, and it 
remarks that he, was he went home and he was obedient to his parents. So our Lord himself was obedient to the law, he was obedient to God his Father, he was obedient to St. Joseph and to St. Mary. So he was a follower before he was a leader. So what does it take to be a leader? It takes following. It takes following. What else does it take uh, to be a leader? It takes fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus. There's a very interesting passage in the Gospels describing when Jesus called his 12 leaders, okay, the 12 apostles, to him. And let's look at it together. This is in Mark 3, 13 through 15. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 to be with him and to be sent out to preach and to have authority to cast demons. Now look at... Look at uh, what it says there after he appointed the 12, okay? It lists some reasons why he appointed them, or another way to look at it would be duties that he gives to them. He appointed 12. The first thing that it says is to be with him, okay? To be with him. Then it says so that they could preach, and then it says that they could have authority. Okay? This, too, is a model of what it means to be a Christ-like leader, because what's got to be primary is being with Jesus. Okay? Being has to precede doing. Okay? Jesus is more concerned with who we are than in what we do for him. And if we get more concerned about accomplishing things for the Lord than actually being in fellowship with him, than actually being in communion with him, we end up actually serving ourselves. And so fellowship with Jesus is primary for the Christ-like leader. Again, in John 15, 5, we, um, we read these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So nothing of any value is done apart from Jesus. Despite this, you know, if you oftentimes, and I fall into this myself, um, if you look at the schedule of activities that we actually carry on, uh, most of our time gets dominated with activities, and we tend frequently to leave prayer, times of silence, times of communion with the Lord, to be fit in between the other stuff, okay? It's one of the last things, well, we schedule everything in elsewise and then try to fit in that fellowship. So what ought to be primary actually ends up in our system of planning being secondary or even tertiary. And so I got a practical recommendation for you, and we'll talk more about, uh, about planning prayer uh, into our lives in a moment. But um, just a practical recommendation in terms of fellowship with Jesus we have this wonderful port. Okay? The chapel is asking for folks to take adoration hours. Okay? If every one of us in a leadership position on campus could take an adoration hour, right, we would quickly fill up those slots and we could get that thing going. Right? And we could start pulling down the graces from that. Okay? 
Since I've been um, at Franciscan, um, I've always made an adoration hour, although at my parish uh, downtown in, at St. Peter's. And yes, it's tough to say get up at 6 a.m. on a Friday morning, you know, for 10 years in a row. Um, and I frequently don't want to do it, okay? But so many times, having the discipline and knowing, the, knowing that I've made a commitment and that I've got to show up for my time and get down there disposes me for grace. I mean, I get down there and then have, you know, though it's cold, though it's dark, et cetera, et cetera, the Lord begins to speak. And I have that time with him. And it becomes my, my weekly appointment with the Lord that helps me get my prayer back on track for the coming week. Uh, again and again. So a practical recommendation, take an hour of adoration once a week uh, in order to establish that fellowship with Jesus, a time when you can be alone with him and focus just on being with him. Focus on letting him love you through the sacrament because he's more concerned with who you are than what you do for him. Now, just a remark on, on both these, these first two principles, following Jesus and fellowship with him. You see, when we're following Jesus and we're in fellowship with him, what that assures is that we're headed in the right direction. And being headed in the right direction is so key for effective leadership. Uh, this came uh, home to me rather strikingly, uh, oh, I don't know, about four or five years ago. Um, when I was going on a, uh, a retreat uh, with the Disciples of the Word household. I see some members here. Hey, guys. Yeah, how's it going? I was going on a retreat with the household, and uh, we were going out, actually, on a canoe trip. Not the most recent one, but this is the last time we did a canoe trip. And the canoe trip location was out in um, Loudonville, uh, Ohio, which is about two hours west of here. And uh, so I had this big van, and so we piled a bunch of the disciples into the van, and I got in to drive the van. So I am de facto a leader, right? Those guys are in seats behind me, and I'm driving the vehicle, so I am leading them, you know? And they said, we're late. We're late for our appointment with the canoe uh, livery out there, so we got to make up for lost time. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go fast, all right? So I roar out of town, get out there. I... I go down to Highway 22, make a turn onto Highway 250. And uh, Steve Jagla was a student uh, at the time, a uh, great alumni of ours from out in South Bend. And Steve was uh, in the pre-theologate, so he was really interested in theology, and I'm a professor of theology. So Steve and I, we're talking heavy theology at the front of the van, you know, riding along, we're talking about theology, we're talking about biblical exegesis and interpretation, really getting into it. And I'm going fast <laughs> because uh, I want to make up for lost time. And we're going along, and, and uh, uh, after about 35 minutes, I see a sign that says, Welcome to West Virginia. And uh, we pass the sign, I'm thinking, and about, five, you know, about a mile after I pass the sign, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> I, I'm going through possible routes out to central Ohio, and I can't think of any routes to central Ohio from Steubenville that would go through any part of West Virginia. <laughs> Suddenly I realized we're heading east 
Okay, we're heading east on Highway 250. We meant to be going west, okay? But I was going fast. <laughs> Make it up for lost time, okay? But in the wrong direction, okay? So you can be the most effective, efficient leader. You can, you can read these books. You can have all these methodologies. You can keep a great day planner or have a, you know, your iCal, you know, um, uh, buzzing you know, every five minutes to alert you to your next appointment. You can do all that stuff, but if you're headed in the wrong direction, okay, you're a failure as a leader. History is replete with people that had the technical skills of leadership. Okay? One, of the, one of the most effective political leaders of the 20th century was a man by the name of Adolf Hitler. Okay? He was a great orator. Uh, he had deep insight into mass psychology. He was very inspiring. Um, he was self-disciplined. Uh, he knew how to run an organization and um, to get people to work together towards a common goal in the wrong direction. Okay? It would be better for you to lead two people in the right direction, inefficiently and in a bumbling fashion, okay? than 200 people very effectively, quickly, and efficiently in the wrong. So following Christ as our first principle, being in fellowship with Jesus as our second principle, these principles assure that you're headed in the right direction, that you're leading people toward God, which is foundational. Point number three, form a plan. Somebody once said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. I don't, actually, I don't know if anybody said, well, I just said that. <laughs> Nobody else did. Somebody ought to have said it because it's true. <laughs> Jesus says in Luke 14, 28, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him and say, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus is asking us to think practically about what is necessary to follow him. Okay? Think practically about what is necessary. Plan carefully. Sit down. Calculate the cost. And it, it never ceases to impress me um, what an easy temptation it is uh, to make careful plans about our professional obligations, careful plans about our educational goals, careful plans about even family obligations and our, um, our financial dealings. You get all that planned out. We use, uh, you know, the Mint program online to organize your finances. And uh, we've got electronic calendars for our professional duties. And, uh, you know, we decide we're going to take a family vacation here. We're going to go home and see the folks at this time. We make plans for all of that. And then we leave the spiritual life um, to a kind of hit or miss methodology. You know, and the truth is that almost works here at Franciscan. Because you can do at Franciscan what I like to call spiritual surfing. Because we get so many great speakers in and so many great movements and dynamic people. And you get spiritual content even in your classes and from your professors and stuff like that. So you could just kind of like surf the waves, you know. Great talk comes in on Marian consecration. You go hear some priest talk about Marian consecration. You surf that wave for a couple of weeks, you know, and then somebody else comes in and 
talks about Lexio Divina and you, you surf that wave. The problem with that is it doesn't prepare us for life outside, okay? And so many Franciscan students leave the institution without having developed a plan of life, without having developed a personal daily habit of prayer, because it was sufficient just to kind of surf while you were here. So Jesus says, sit down and plan, plan for spiritual things. And uh, one of my favorite saints, uh, St. Josemaria Escrivá, um, who spent a lot of time, um, first of all, spent a lot of time in spiritual direction with college students. A huge amount of his life was spent doing that, one-on-one spiritual direction with college students. So he knew what it's like um, for people in your position. And also he spent a great deal of time thinking about what is reasonable and uh, ideal for a layperson to uh, take on in terms of a life of prayer. And this is what St. Josemaria came up with um, after years of working with uh, lay people in spirituality. Uh, a daily plan of prayer that included a morning offering, that is consecrating your day to the Lord at the beginning uh, each day. Then uh, daily mass okay, um, with uh, Holy Communion. Mental prayer for about 15 minutes. Uh, mental prayer is just free prayer. Okay, this is non-vocal, non uh, non-preset. This is just you talking to Jesus, and it's great to do it in the context of adoration. 15 minutes of mental prayer, 15 minutes of spiritual reading, a little bit of the New Testament, and then some spiritual book. The practice of the Angelus at noon, the rosary at some point in the day, and then making an examination of conscience at night. Okay. These, these seven habits were what St. Josemaria uh, recommended for uh, all lay people. Now, you don't have to um, take on that, uh, that exact um, set of commitments, although if you wanted to, that'd be great. Uh, maybe you're already involved in a household that has a certain set of patterns of prayer already that, uh, that you've committed to. Maybe some of your household commitments are similar to what's on there. But what I would recommend to you is that you plan something. And I would urge you to do it immediately. Okay? If you don't have a set commitment of daily prayer, you know, a commitment to, okay, I'm going to do daily Mass and Rosary daily, or I'm going to you know, read Scripture and spend a half hour in the port daily, you know, whatever it is. Okay? Um, if you don't have a planned commitment already, I urge you before Father Dave's next talk, Okay, write down a few things. Okay, you can write it down in this outline. You can write it down on something else that you got. Write something down and make that plan today. Okay, if you say I'm going to do it later this afternoon, probably not going to happen. Okay, take the opportunity within the next hour to write down for yourself. I think I can do these practices of prayer, and this is what I'm making a commitment to God to live in uh, this upcoming uh, semester. Okay. Fourth point, we need to focus. Jesus spends a lot of time talking to the disciples about the importance of focus for those who would be leaders in the spiritual life. Luke 9.62, Jesus said to them, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
Now the issue here is when you're plowing is not as easy as it looks. Or maybe it doesn't even look easy to you. Well, it's not easy. Um, it's really hard to get a huge blade to go cutting through the dirt straight, okay? being pulled by a large animal. Okay? The animal has a tendency to want to wander off everywhere. Okay? And that blade you know, hits things and it veers and so on. So uh, plowing actually takes really steady concentration. Um, and uh, in ancient times, one of the techniques that was used for plowing would be to attach the, the guidelines or the reins, if you will, of the plowing animal to your shoulders so that uh, it, it freed up um, uh, your hands to grasp the plow that was being dragged along. Now the issue then with looking back in the house, you know, you're plowing along and it's about midday and you're like, I sure would like a nice drink of Lipton. And when you turn like that, what happens to your shoulders? Okay. They go like that. And you turn back, and Bessie has just gone. Again, St. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay. This is Paul talking to one of the leaders of the church, to Timothy, who was um, uh, Paul's disciple and uh, leader um, of the church. Uh, in the location where Paul had left him. Uh, St. Paul goes on, No soldier on service gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to satisfy the one who enlisted him. Okay. Um, so he can't get tangled up into trying to get you know, the power, fame, glory, pleasure that, uh, you know, that the, the people of this world want if we're going to be followers of Christ. He said to him, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, which is striking because the cross is a method of execution. This would be like saying, um, deny yourself and take up your electric chair. You know, nobody who doesn't take up his electric chair to follow me uh, can, uh, can be my disciple. Okay? That's the kind of image. It's uh, very brutal, very striking, but it's an image of self-denial and being willing to go to death to stay focused on the one whom you're following. And then Matthew 13, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the delight in riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is describing the distracted Christian. Okay, and you see, when, when, in this parable of the sower, okay, it's this seed that gets cast among the thorns that applies to most of us who are studying the scripture. Okay? You know how the parable goes, right? Some seed gets cast on the path and it gets consumed immediately. Okay? Well, that's usually not those of us who's, who are reading the Bible because if the gospel had taken no root in our heart at all, we wouldn't be reading Matthew right now. Okay? We wouldn't be at the Bible study. Okay? We wouldn't be at Mass. Then again, some seed gets thrown on the shallow soil and it springs up and then it withers when persecution comes. Again, that's usually not those who are in mass. It's usually not those who are at the Bible study because those people have already fallen away. But the third category, the seed that gets cast among the thorns, that's where most of us who show up on ma at mass to hear this gospel proclaimed or who to show up to a Bible study to study it, that's where most of us fall, okay? Notice in this, this seed, the seed doesn't die. The plant doesn't die. So you don't lose, it's not that you've lost the faith personally. It's that it's not bearing fruit. Why? 
because you're distracted. Distracted by the things of the world. Distracted by the rat race that's out there. Cares of the world, delight and riches. Okay? Distractions, and we gotta focus. We gotta focus on what we're called to do by Jesus. And um, most of you, for this upcoming um, semester, one of the things Jesus is calling you to do is a position of leadership at this university. So you've got a vocation. It's not maybe for your whole life, but it's for the semester. You've got a vocation. You've got to stay focused on that. What causes us to lose focus? I made a little list of distractions that I think are common ones. Email. Big distraction. Facebook. You can spend hours. They want you to spend hours. They send you little notices, you know. And this is how your Facebook page is doing. Like, oh no, I have less likes this week than I did last week. You know, they play with your emotions. Like, oh, I better go post something right now so I got more likes. You know, stop. Why do I need likes in the first place? You know, thousands of people that I'm friends with, you know, hardly ever see. Twitter, web surfing. You just get on. There's so many interesting things to see. You can spend all day surfing for one interesting thing. Doesn't even have to, you know, good stuff. It could be, it could be all good. You, know, you could surf from one site on liturgy to another. Okay. You can get up on all the liturgical gossip. You know, you can, you can. Uh, there is, there's lots of it, folks. It's a whole sub industry, liturgical gossip, and then ecclesiastical gossip. You know, and. and uh, and let's not even get into sports, you know. Web series, iTunes, you know. I gotta have that that new song. Video games, distraction. TV programs, all sorts of various sports spectating. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be open with you. When I ki you know, I spent four years at the University of Notre Dame which is the only PhD granting program of football <laughs> in the country, okay? It's kind of like a football team with a university attached to it that grants degrees. Um, <laughs> I should be so vicious. I'm a faithful donor. I'm a faithful donor. But uh, I had no interest in football before going to the University of Notre Dame. Um, but almost everybody there catches the bug. You know, I remember uh, before I caught the bug, I was about a week there, and um, uh, I'd only been there for a week, and I was talking to uh, an ex a graduate exchange student from Egypt. Okay? He's like, he's in engineering, you know, and he's from Egypt, came from Egypt, going back to Egypt. I brought up the subject of football. Like, yeah, that's right. Last, last year, we almost killed them. We almost killed them. And then our quarterback, our quarterback, sprained his ankle in the final play. They sent him to back up. And we could not make two yards in three plays. Ah! Oh! Guy's Egyptian. He's an Arab. He's a Muslim. But our ladies' football team is us, okay? So. And we sprained our ankle, and we could not get, you know, two yards in three plays uh, to capture, I don't know, the Gator Bowl or 
the national championship or something. Um, so I, I caught the bug. I caught the bug. So for the first couple of years that I was teaching here at, at uh, Franciscan, you know, I'd go in, uh, teach a class, I'd come back, oh boy, that was an exhausting class to teach. So I'd surf Notre Dame football gossip, you know, for like an hour. And you'd be amazed. It can keep you going all year long. You know, think, what would you do on the off season? There's recruiting. <laughs> there's the recruiting news. Okay, you know. And then there's coaching changes, you know. I tell you, you can, you can get wrapped up in anything. There's so many things that you can get wrapped up on. Uh, you know, in sports, and then outside of sports, okay? Aside from everything that I mentioned, there's stuff that's downright bad. There's, as we all know, porn, okay? There's erotic stuff that can become addictive uh, on the internet. Um, that, obviously, is a huge waste of time as well as being uh, a moral degradation. Texting, okay, we can, we can get all caught up with that. You know, we have way more friends than uh, we can really keep up with. And so even when we're with our real friends, we're like talking to our virtual friends, uh, you know. We don't even converse. So these distractions, there's so many distractions that are out there. We got to focus, we got to cut back. Cut back on the input that's coming in so that we can focus on Christ, so we can retain interior peace. You know, with the, with, and, and this has gotten worse even over, over the past uh, four or five years with the advent of smartphones and uh, the ability now to uh, be in contact with the rest of the world at all times. It makes it hard to have that interior peace. Okay? It makes it hard to maintain interior quiet. It makes it hard to be focused on Christ in the center of your soul because all this input is, is coming in. So I encourage you, right now, write down, right now, what is your biggest distraction, okay? Let's make a little prayer to Jesus. Jesus, help us to be honest to ourselves. Help us to be honest about what our biggest distraction is. Write that down right now. Let's make a resolution this coming week to take some concrete steps um, to, uh, to cut that back, um, to eliminate, if necessary, or at least... Uh, uh, scale back that distraction in our lives so that we can be focused on the Lord. Fifth point, lead from the front. Okay? Lead from the front. John 10, 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now there's a, a lot of shepherding imagery that Jesus uses, um, obviously, in the Gospels. And I think one of the things that we need to understand about um, ancient culture in order to appreciate our Lord's use of shepherding imagery is that shepherding in the Eastern world is different from the way it's practiced in the Western world. You know, our, uh, how many of you have seen the movie Babe at some point? That pig, yeah, okay. All right, so you're, you're tracking with me. That pig, shepherd, sheepdog guy stuff. It was a really good movie, actually. Um, so you notice that, you know from, from Babe that, you know, how do they shepherd? Well, it's with the wolves, right? You get the dogs, and the dogs um, herd the sheep by fear in front. You know, the shepherd walks behind, the shepherd barks instructions at the dogs, and the dogs bark at the sheep, and uh, we, we push the sheep. Uh, where we want to go out of fear. So that's Western shepherding with, uh, with sheepdogs. Now it's different in the East. 
um, in the east, the shepherd walks in front. Okay? And the shepherd calls, and all the sheep, you know, literally, like the Bible says, they know his voice, and they follow him. Um, I actually saw this. Uh, I was on, on pilgrimage uh, to Israel um, uh, last year uh, in the summer, and we were actually taking a tour bus into Bethlehem. And we got stopped by a herd of sheep. Can you believe this? With a shepherd who is leading a sheep through. And I'm like, can this be real? You know? <laughs> and I go to our guide and I'm like, did you plan that? You know? <laughs> just really, he's like, no, I didn't plan it. You know, it just, it just happened. They still have sheep, they still raise them, you know. So here we were, shepherding, you know, they're still shepherding sheep in uh, in Bethlehem, but from the front. So the um, the shepherd walks in front, the shepherd looks for danger, the shepherd deals with the danger that he sees, and the sheep uh, come after him. And that's, that's what we need to be like if we're going to be um, Christ-like uh, leaders. Got to lead from the front. What does that mean? One of the things that that means is setting the example. Okay. Setting the example in your dorm, setting the example for your committee, setting the example for your mission team. Um, setting an example for whatever body it is that you've been put at the head of. Um, St. Jose Maria has an interesting statement. I want to... Um, I want to read this. St. Jose Maria says at one point in his writings, Many false apostles, in spite of themselves, do good to the crowd, to the people, through the very power of the doctrine of Jesus that they preach, but do not practice. But this good does not make up the incalculable harm that they do by killing the souls of leaders of apostles who turn away in disgust from those who don't practice what they preach. That is why, if such men and women are not willing to live a consistent life, they should never offer themselves as frontline leaders. Okay? Again, if you're not willing to live a consistent life, don't offer yourself as a frontline leader. Because Christian leaders need, from the, need to lead from the front, need to lead by example. And um, we can't expect anything of those who are coming after us that we're not willing to undertake ourselves. So set the example, pray to Christ to help you to lead from the front. And then finally, point six, fulfill your plan. Okay, Fulfill your plan. We talked about planning. Earlier, we talked about making a resolution about uh, cutting back on distractions. We talked about writing down some commitments in prayer. Uh, whatever resolutions you make in this talk or whatever resolutions you've made uh, during this uh, conference, uh, fulfill them. Put them into practice. You know, I talked about my, uh, my addiction uh, to Notre Dame football earlier. I've been clean and sober, by the way, uh, for over a year not watched a single game in a year, only checked the score at the very end of the season. They were eight and four. But uh, I'm doing all right, day by day, okay. praying all the time. But uh, one of the things I learned during my football uh, addiction was um, what, uh, what players say after they lose a game. And uh, you, you guys who watch football, you're, you're familiar with one of the things they say. But one of the most common things to say is, we had a failure to execute. <laughs> All right. 
What does that mean? We had a failure to execute. What that means is, well, we had a strategy going into the game. You know, we knew that they were going to try to run the ball. We knew we had to stop the run. Um, we knew we had to get the ball to our key receiver, et cetera. So we had a strategy, but we didn't follow through on our strategy, okay? Failure to execute. Failure to execute also derails, causes us to lose at the spiritual game, okay? We have a strategy. We make commitments. We say, I'm going to pray at this time. I'm going to uh, make these resolutions. We don't carry them out. Um, another thing, I, another phrase I learned um, uh, from my years in urban ministry where I uh, uh, ministered to many people that were in uh, substance abuse recovery programs is the phrase, I need to work my program. Okay? A lot of people recovering from various kinds of substance abuse. They go through 12-step programs. They know what the program is. They know what they have to do to, to stay clean and sober. But then they forget to work the program. Okay? Well, that's true in the spiritual life as well. Okay? We have a program to do. We know what we need to do to maintain our life of prayer with Christ, to maintain that fellowship with him, that focus with him, so that we can lead people in the right direction. We don't always carry through. So same Josemaria uh, uh, emphasizes that in his spiritual writings, and he gives a little, he gives some advice on how to be better at follow through, better at execution. He says, Willpower, it's a very important quality. Don't despise little things, for by the continual practice of denying yourself again and again in such things, which are never futile or trivial, with God's grace you will add strength and resilience to your character. In that way, you will first become a master of yourself, and then a guide, a chief, a leader, okay? to compel and to urge and to inspire others with your word, with your example, with your knowledge, and with your power. Okay? This may be the most direct and uh, powerful uh, statement of this saint on the whole idea of becoming a Christ-like leader. And what does he say? He says, willpower is a huge component of it. And then he gives a technique to help you develop willpower. And that is, don't despise the little things. What does he mean by little things? He means the little mortifications that should be the salt of the Christian's life. For by the continual practice of denying yourself again and again in such things, which are never futile or trivial, with God's grace you will add strength and resilience to your character. St. Osiria knew how people could develop character. He knew they could, how they could develop resilience and how they could develop willpower. It was by the exercise of willpower. Okay? The will, in some ways, is like a muscle. Okay? It develops strength through exercise. It does not, you know, and now think of the exercise analogy. Okay? If you're trying to build muscle, you don't go down to the gym and immediately try to clean 300 pounds off the floor. Okay? <laughs> You don't start there, okay? What you, you start with one of the machines, and you know, and you, you slip the little bar in at 30 pounds, you know, and then you go, hmm, hmm, hmm. You know, and if people walk by, you try to cover where the bar is. <laughs> like, ah! Ah! You know, 30 pounds, okay. Um, 
They can't see that. I noticed some of the new machines have like cowls around the weights so that nobody can see how much you're really lifting. I'm like, oh, that's clever. That's great. But, um, but no, seriously, uh, you, start, you start small with high repetition, okay? So applying that to the spiritual life, okay? I want to teach myself willpower. I want to follow Christ, okay? You don't start with, um, I'm going to do a 14-day water fast. Okay. <laughs> you know. I'm going to get a discipline, you know. <laughs> Whack myself, you know. You don't start with some huge mortification. Um, you start with skipping butter on your toast. Okay? You start with skipping sugar in your coffee. Okay? St. Jose Maria recommended um, omit something at every meal. Okay? He's, he calls it salting your meal with a mortification. Okay? A little exercise of self-denial. There's all sorts of little exercises of self-denial that you can work into your day. It can be things like skipping breaks. It's like, okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study for um, 55 minutes, and I'm not going to leave this chair, okay? Um, and at the end of time, I'll get up, go get a drink, whatever, do what I need to do, and then come back for another session. But I'm going to discipline myself. By, by, I'm going to refuse to answer the phone, whatever. I'm just going to sit. That's a mortification. St. Osiris would like that kind of mortification a lot, all right? because he says, choose mortifications that don't mortify others. Okay? I'm going to omit bathing for you. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Choose mortifications that don't mortify others. And choose mortifications that help you in your vocation. Okay? So the mortification of, I'm just going to sit in this chair, and I'm, I'm not going to do any email. I'm not going to answer my cell phone. I'm not going to take a break for 55 minutes. I'm going to do this studying. Okay? It's a great kind of mortification because it builds willpower. It's a small thing. It doesn't lead to pride. Okay? It's, nobody's going to be super impressed with that. You, know? it's like, you, you can't brag about that to your friends. You know? If you do, they're going to be like, oh, yeah. You're just like that guy who was being roasted on one side, you know, and then he asked to be flipped over. I mean, you're, you're right up with that guy now, you know. That saint. You know, a whole 55 minutes. <laughs> but it's really, it's, it can be really hard. It can be a really hard thing to just stay there and to, to concentrate. Being punctual, okay? Being punctual is a great mortification. Starting and stopping on time. Everybody's looking at their clock. Is he going to stop on time? Yes, I will. <laughs> I'll mortify myself in this way. Um, to avoid mortifying you. Um, no, starting and stopping on time, that's a, that's a great, it's a great mortification because it takes willpower. We all know how it goes. You're working on something and you got momentum. Like, I'm writing this paper, this is so great. I know I got to go to class. Or I know I've got that committee made. Oh, just four more minutes, the words are really coming, you know. Another two minutes, you know. Oh, now I got to go. Now you close up and, and you forgot something, you got to run back to get it, and you show up and you're like, it's seven, eight minutes late for whatever it was, okay. Um, if it was mass, then you, you walk in mass a few minutes late. I convict myself. I've done this myself. That's why I know it so well. Um, and you're not spiritually prepared, so you don't get as much graces out of the mass. You know, or you show up late in the meeting, and you're flustered, and the meeting doesn't go as well. Because why? Because you didn't, you weren't able to mortify yourself by saying no. You know, e even though the words are coming, I know 
my duty estate is to go to this next thing. So starting and stopping on time, it's a great little mortification that St. Josemaria recommended. Um, you know, we already talked about the little mortifications in, at uh, meals. Um, getting up right on time is another great uh, mortification that's not, contrary to popular belief, bad for you. Um, it will not hurt your health to get up when the alarm rings. And, uh, and it gets you to a good start for the day, but it takes a lot of willpower. So see, these are, little, these are all little things. These are five pound weights. These are 10 pound weights that exercise the bicep, that tone the muscle, that tone the will. Doesn't lead to pride. Uh, you can't brag about them. But by high repetition on those low, low weights, you build the tone of the will. You build that muscle. And then you can work up to to larger things as God calls you and of course, uh, you know, in consultation with, uh, with your spiritual director. So, talked about how to get an F in leadership, all right? Following Christ, fellowship with Jesus, form a plan, keep your focus, lead from the front, fulfill your plan. Let's go to God in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we truly wish to um, lead those you've entrusted to us, uh, Lord, uh, whether they be students taking a course or folks on a mission team or students in a dorm or a, a committee or some other group or organization in campus, Lord, uh, we know for this semester to every one of us in this room you've given at least some role of leadership, some vocation to be a leader. Lord, we pray that we'd be good under shepherds, like you, the great shepherd. Teach us to get out there in front and to call the sheep after us, uh, to live in humility. Uh, teach us ourselves to be good sheep who follow your voice, so as others follow us, we know that we're guiding them to you, that we're guiding them in the right direction. Please bless this semester. Pour out on it all your graces of the Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, you've blessed this university so much. Um, Lord, we did, we've gone through great things. We've gone through great outpourings of the Spirit in the past. But we pray that you do even greater things, that you do a new thing in upcoming years and upcoming semesters with the incoming generation of Franciscan students. And start with us, Lord. That's what we ask. We ask this all in the name of Christ the Lord and in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.